Long History The Second Voyage of Christopher Columbus Part 5 Guacamari and the Destruction of Navidad Welcome to Long History, how are you? I hope you're well and this is part 5 of a series called The Second Voyage of Christopher Columbus and if this is the first episode of Long History that you've come across just to let you know that we give you a summary of the first voyage in the first episode of this series but we also cover that first voyage in a 30-part series called The Journal of the First Voyage of Columbus. Here we're on to the second voyage, however, and this is a first-hand account of that journey written by a man called Dr. Chanka, who took part in the voyage. This is just one of many voyages we've got now in long history, including two early explorers in today's United States from the 1500s, documents about the early colonization of the Philippines by the Spanish, and many more. One of the main aims of this voyage had been to find the settlement of people that had been left behind on Columbus's previous journey. 39 men had been left in a settlement called Navidad because there wasn't enough room on the ships to take them all back to Europe. In the previous episode, Columbus finally found the settlement of Navidad, but the news wasn't good. In fact, it was pretty devastating news. The whole place had been destroyed and not a single survivor was left of that first European settlement in the Americas. The local people have given them many reasons why Navidad had been burned and none of the men could be found, but there's no simple or entirely plausible explanation of events. In this episode, we begin with the Spanish exploring the burned-out settlement in more depth. They meet the local leader, Guacamari, who had met with Christopher Columbus on his previous voyage. The Second Voyage of Christopher Columbus, Part 5 Guacamari and the destruction of Navidad. In these houses, we found many things belonging to the Spaniards, which it could not be supposed they would have bartered, such as a very handsome Moorish mantle which had not been unfolded since it was brought from Spain, stockings and pieces of cloth, also an anchor belonging to the ship which the Admiral had lost here on the previous voyage, with other articles which the more confirmed our suspicions. On examining some things which had been put away to keep in a basket, closely woven and very secure, we found a man's head, kept with great care. This, we judged, might be the head of a father or mother, or of some person whom they much regarded. I have since heard that many were found in the same state, which makes me believe that our first impression was the true one. After this we returned. We went on the same day to the site of the settlement. And when we arrived we found many Indians who had regained their courage, bartering gold with our men. They had bartered to the extent of a mark. We also learned that they had shown where the bodies of eleven of the dead Spaniards were laid, which were already covered with the grass that had grown over them and they all, with one voice, asserted that Kaunabo and Myreni had killed them. But notwithstanding all this, we began to hear complaints that one of the Spaniards had taken three women to himself, and another four. From whence we drew the inference that jealousy was the cause of the misfortune that had occurred. On the next morning, as no spot in that vicinity appeared suitable for our making a settlement, the Admiral ordered a caravel to go in one direction to look for a convenient locality, while some of us went with him another way. 
In the course of our explorations, we discovered a harbour of great security and a very favourable situation for a settlement. But, as it was far from where we wanted to have the gold mine, the Admiral decided to settle only in some spot which would give us greater certainty of attaining that object, provided the position of the land should prove equally convenient. On our return, we found the other caravel arrived, in which Melchior and four or five other trustworthy men had been exploring with a similar object. They reported that as they went along the coast, a canoe came out to them, in which were two Indians, one of whom was the brother of Guacamari, and was recognised by a pilot who was in the caravel. When he asked them, Who goes there? They replied that Guacamari sent to beg the Spaniards to come on shore as he had his settlement near with nearly 50 houses. The chief men of the party then went on shore in the boat, proceeded to the place where Guacamari was, and found him stretched on his bed, complaining of a severe wound. They conferred with him and inquired respecting the Spaniards. His reply was, in accordance with the account already given by the others, viz. that they had been killed by Kaunapo and Myreni who also had wounded him in the thigh which he showed to them bandaged up, on seeing which they concluded that his statement was correct. At the departure, he gave to each of them a jewel of gold according to his estimation of their respective merits. The Indians beat the gold into very thin plates in order to make masks of it and to be able to set it in bitumen. If it were not so prepared, it could not be mounted, other ornaments they make of it, to wear on the head and to hang in the ears and nostrils. For these also they require it to be thin, since they set no store by it as wealth, but only for adornment. Guacamari desired them by signs, and as well as he was able, to tell the admiral that as he was thus wounded, he prayed him to have the goodness to come to see him. The sailors told this to the admiral when he arrived. The next morning he resolved to go thither, for the spot could be reached in three hours, being scarcely three leagues distance from the place where we were. But as it would be the dinner hour when we arrived, we dined before we went on shore. After dinner, the Admiral gave orders that all the captains should come with their barges to proceed to the shore, for already on that morning, previous to our departure, the aforesaid brother of Guacamari had come to speak with the Admiral to urge him to come to the place where Guacamari was. Then the Admiral went on shore accompanied by all the principal officers, so richly dressed that they would have made a fine appearance even in any of our chief cities. He took with him some articles as presents, having already received from Guacamari a certain quantity of gold and it was reasonable that he should make a commensurate response to his acts and expressions of goodwill. Guacamari had also provided himself with a present. When we arrived, we found him stretched upon his bed, which was made of cotton network, and, according to their custom, suspended. He did not arise, but made from his bed the best gesture of courtesy of which he was capable. He showed much feeling with tears in his eyes for the death of the Spaniards and began speaking on the subject, with explaining to the best of his power how some died of disease 
Others had gone to Kaunabor in search of the mine of gold and had there been killed, and that the rest had been attacked and slain in their own town. According to the appearance of the dead bodies, it was not two months since this had happened. Then he presented the admiral with eight marks and a half of gold and five or six belts worked with stones of various colours and a cap of similar jewel work, which I think they must value very highly because in it was a jewel which was presented to him with great reverence. It appears to me that these people put more value upon copper than gold. The surgeon of the fleet and myself being present, the admiral told Guacamari that we were skilled in the treatment of human disorders and wished that he would show us his wound. He replied that he was willing. Upon which I said it would be necessary that he should, if possible, go out of the house, because we could not see well on account of the place being darkened by the crowd of people. To this he consented, I think more from timidity than inclination, and left the house leaning on the arm of the admiral. After he was seated, the surgeon approached him and began to untie the bandage. Then he told the admiral that the wound was made with a sieber, by which he meant with a stone. When the wound was uncovered, we went up to examine it. It is certain that there was no more wound on that leg than on the other, although he cunningly pretended that it pained him much. Ignorant as we were of the facts, it was impossible to come to a definite conclusion. There were certainly many proofs of an invasion by a hostile people, so that the Admiral was at a loss what to do. He, with many others, thought, however, that for the present, and until they could ascertain the truth, they ought to conceal their distrust, for, after ascertaining it, they would be able to claim whatever indemnity they thought proper. That evening Guacamari accompanied the admiral to the ships, and when they showed him the horses and other objects of interest, their novelty struck him with the greatest amazement. He took supper on board and returned that evening to his house. The admiral told him that he wished to settle there and to build houses, to which he assented but said that the place was not wholesome because it was very damp. And so it most certainly was. All this passed through the interpretation of two of the Indians who had gone to Spain in the last voyage, and who were the sole survivors of seven who had embarked with us. Five died on the voyage, and these but narrowly escaped. The next day we anchored in that port. Guacamari sent to know when the Admiral intended leaving, and was told that he would do so on the morrow. The same day Guacamari's brother and others with him came on board, bringing gold to barter. On the day of our departure, also they bartered a great quantity of gold. There were ten women on board, of those who had been taken in the Caribbee islands, principally from Boriken, and it was observed that the brother of Guacamari spoke with them. We think that he told them to make an effort to escape that night, for certainly during our first sleep they dropped themselves quietly into the water and went on shore, so that by the time they were missed they had reached such a distance that only four could be taken by the boats which went in pursuit, and these were secured when just leaving the water. 
they had to swim considerably more than half a league. The next morning, the Admiral sent a desire that Guacamari would cause search to be made for the women who had escaped in the night, and that he would send them back to the ships. When the messengers arrived, they found the place forsaken and not a soul there. This made many openly declare their suspicions, but others said they might have removed to another village as was their custom. That day we remained quiet, because the weather was unfavourable for our departure. On the next morning the Admiral resolved that as the wind was adverse, it would be well to go with the boats to inspect a harbour on the coast at two leagues distance further up, to see if the formation of the land was favourable for a settlement. And we went thither with all the ship's boats, leaving the ships in the harbour. As we moved along the coast, the people manifested a sense of insecurity, and when we reached the spot to which we were bound, all the natives had fled. While we were walking about this place, we found an Indian stretched on the hillside, close by the houses, with a gaping wound in his shoulder caused by a dart, so that he had been disabled from fleeing any further. The natives of this island fight with sharp darts, which they shoot with straps in the same manner as boys in Spain shoot their little darts, and with these they shoot with considerable skill to a great distance. And certainly upon an unarmed people, these weapons are calculated to do serious injury. The man told us that Kaunabo and his people had wounded him and burned the houses of Guacamari. Thus, we are still kept in uncertainty respecting the death of our people on account of the paucity of information on which to form an opinion, and the conflicting and equivocal character of the evidence we have obtained. The Spanish are clearly suspicious of every word that is told to them by the local people, with Guacamari's story being just as convenient as it is plausible. 39 men had been left behind by Columbus, and it seems that only a few months later all of them had died of disease and violence. Columbus still wants to set up a settlement in the area, and the local people don't really seem to realise that when they offer gold to the Spanish they're sort of sealing their fate unwittingly. So this was the penultimate episode of this particular series, and the next episode will give a summary of what the Spaniards have found on this journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of Long History. Please, if you can, do like and share it with any like-minded people. And don't forget that there's lots to explore on Long History, particularly with regards to the age of exploration. There's lots of famous names such as Francis Drake, Sir Walter Raleigh, Magellan, all with first-hand accounts of events. Eyewitness history. That's it for now, however. This was the second voyage of Christopher Columbus, part 5. Guacamari and the destruction of Navidad. Goodbye.